following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I found in him a friend so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me never cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so strong as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from
how much he cared for me. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one having been dead, whom he raised from among the dead. So they made a supper for him there, and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of the ones reclining with him. Then Mary having taken a pound of very costly oil of pure spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, the one being about to betray him, says, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and was keeping the money box and he was stealing the things put in it. And Jesus said, You leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor among you, but you do not always have me. John, the twelfth chapter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. This story has taken on a very special significance to me. I was some years ago visiting with a family of relatively new Christians They were not a part of my congregation, but they were dear to me. And as I sat and talked with the man of the house, as we were waiting for dinner to be ready, he told me that he had just accepted a position in his new congregation as the director of the Sunday school program. He was quite excited about it, He was eager to be of service to Jesus. But then he said something very interesting to me. He said, I don't understand why every person before me that I'm aware of that has taken this position has left the church when they were finished with their assignment. I said, that's strange. What do you suppose is making that happen? He said, well, the only thing I can think of is that I won't get the support necessary to be able to faithfully 
do what I'm supposed to do as the leader. I said, yes, I see that as a perennial problem. Sunday school is always a difficult assignment, and it's always difficult in a small church to get enough volunteers to take care of the children in a quality way and teach them the way of Jesus. He said, but I'm eager to do it, and so he jumped into this project of being the director of the children's ministry. Some two years later, as I was once more talking with him, he told me he was leaving the church. He had not received the support he needed, and he was, he said, burned out. And so he and his family left, began looking for another church where they could just rest and do nothing. And as time went on, in spite of talking with him, I discovered that he was less and less attending a local church. He said he was burned out. I've seen this many times in my work of ministry. And I think it would be useful today to allow a godly man by the name of G.D. Watson who wrote a book, Pure Gold. I think it would be worthwhile to let him speak to us about these issues and try to begin to understand the flow of God's way of bringing us into his heart and to identify where the block comes. Obviously, the gentleman I've spoken of was unable to make the transition necessary to build up his faith. And I've, I've seen also a man come into the church, begin serving in every possible way, setting up the chairs, taking care of the sound system, serving, 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 serving and then finally walk away and say, I feel like all I do here is serve and and I need to stop serving for a while. Well, is, is that the way of Jesus? And I have to answer no, but I understand it. There is a block in a man's heart between honest Christian service and the next step that that service should lead us to. G.D. Watson, in his book Pure Gold, begins to identify the marks and the direction that we need to move in service. He writes, Martha, Lazarus, and Mary are each significant types not so much of three different persons as three different stages through which Jesus will lead a believer that seriously entertains him. And then the three actions of these three persons are very significant of the states through which we pass in the Christ life. Martha served, Lazarus sat, and Mary anointed. 
we find as we progress in the life of the Spirit that we pass through Martha's life of diligent outward service and then through the Lazarus state of death and burial and rising up into a life of quietness to sit at the table with Jesus. And then when Christ's love rises to an overflow of a burning flame in our hearts, the merry state of pouring ourselves out in extravagant devotion and the breaking of costly alabaster boxes. It takes all of these three forms of service to constitute our full banquet with Jesus. And so let's analyze these three stages. Martha served. She had the ability of managing details. She had an eye to outward duty, exact method, civil courtesy, social decorum, great punctuality in performing outward duties. Frankly, she identified herself as a servant. She had a servant's heart. She had more joy in waiting on the table than in sitting with the guests. It was the gift of her nature and the element in which her mind moved. Now I've watched as a man came to the National Prayer Chapel and immediately became a servant. When he grew tired of serving, he did not come and sit with the congregation, but always hung around the back, sitting in the back, pulling a chair to the far back. There was a problem. He was unwilling or unable to make the transition into the next stage of natural growth in Jesus. Our writer continues, Mary's outward service typifies a whole field in the religious life, which every true Christian must learn in the beginning of his experience. Outward acts of service lie at the basis of the Christian life. The act of bowing the knees, praying audibly with the tongue, reading the scriptures, attending the places of worship, taking up the outward duties of a Christian in detail and perseverance. All this seems so strange and so new and even a little awkward to a new convert. But all of this is very necessary. And unless these outward acts of service are entered upon with a distinct determination of persevering along all lines of known duty, there will be no firm basis for higher expectations. I have seen men at the National Prayer Chapel who only desire to serve. And when they have been encouraged to take the next step, they have been unable to do so. Or could I say more plainly, I have seen men unwilling to take that next step. And the ruin of these believers 
is they keep their eyes on performing the various duties instead of making the transition and giving their whole attention to Jesus Christ. The reason why Mary served with such wonderful heart-giving service, anticipating every need, it was because her thoughts were all the time fixed upon Jesus for whom all these outward duties were being done. Had she performed all these outward duties with her eyes fixed merely on the actions and the necessity for other people of her actions, it would have become drudgery and burnout. But when those actions of Mary's had direct reference to the one she so ardently loved, then the duties flowed from her fingers as sweetly and easily as raindrops. The identical same act may be drudgery or it may be devotion according to the inner soul that performs the action. Now many young Christians have their attention directed so exclusively to the mere performance of certain church duties simply as duties without being led to do all duties out of a personal affection and love for Jesus that their service for God has no charm, no drawing magnetism in it. It becomes stale and wearisome. I've seen so many people in the church burn out because of this. You see, the outward service, the outward faithfulness and diligence must propel a person in exciting love for Jesus. While there is a consciousness of obligation and duty and the financial obligation, and all of these things make up the, the body of religious life in a church, it must be accompanied by a warm, inward soul of love for Jesus which animates the body. And thus we know how to serve with the true, humble, painstaking spirit of a real servant. We shall never reach the higher altitudes typified by Martha's brother and sister. Part of what I see has happened at the National Prayer Chapel is that people have lost their consecration. They have lost a sense of this ardent love for Jesus in their search to be righteous and to repent. You see, those are wonderful things to repent and to be righteous but they become exceedingly difficult and burdensome when you begin to set up your own rules and regulations and you have pride now in your testimony, when you have pride in your performance and the ardent, humble love of Jesus Christ is lost to your heart. 
the only thing that can keep me serving you on this radio day by day, expending the time and the energy and the money. The only thing that keeps me coming to this radio is a passionate, burning love in my heart for Jesus Christ and for you. Is it wearisome? Yes, I become exhausted. Is it downheartening? Yes, when I have to come and do offertories and plead with you, would you give? It becomes very arduous, very difficult. I'm looking for people who will just pour out their souls. I'm looking for people to come to the prayer chapel who will take off the brakes, who will just pour out their soul in service and love and devotion to Jesus and his people. And then I'm looking for people who will be willing out of that love and that devotion to take the next step, the Lazarus step, as I want to call it. I'm eager for many of you to come to the prayer chapel and begin to give everything you have to seeking after Jesus and let him be the motto of your heart. It is Jesus that I desire. It is Jesus I want. I do not want to pastor a church of half-converted, unconsecrated people who will not allow the fire of the love of God to burn in their hearts. So Lazarus sat at the table with Jesus, and this presents us with a form of experience which is the appropriate outcome of death and resurrection. Lazarus now, as a resurrected man, is a quiet man. He has given up all worry, all suspicion. He is now just focused on Jesus. His words aren't recorded. He was more passive than active in nature. He utterly yielded himself up to the sway of God's province and was acted on more than acted. You see, the transition from service to Lazarus is when we surrender to what God is trying to accomplish in our hearts instead of rebelling and stepping back and saying, I can't do this anymore. It is surrendering to Jesus Christ at a whole new level. God dealt with this man. He acted upon Lazarus, allowing him to die, to be buried, and then be raised to life. This is a supernatural work of God that he will do in our hearts if we don't turn away from that ardent love of Jesus Christ. And so now he's sitting at the table with Jesus. Is all in perfect accord with the makeup and gifts of the man? Yes. Yes, this man has been acted upon by the Holy Spirit. 
and he now spells out the form of that heavenly life of purity and restfulness of soul. Lazarus was sick. He died. He has passed through the strange valley. He's had all creation fade from his vision, and he's entered the divine world. He has seen the things of God. In like manner, we're to add to Martha's service that unquestioning yielding up to all of our Father's unknown will to enter the Lazarus form of life. We too must grow sick of ourselves. We must faint under the burden of our own internal heart leprosy, our carnal nature, our self-will must expire. We too must close our eyes in death upon all the things of earth and open our vision to the real life of heaven. We too must enter the silent grave where we see ourselves as utterly nothing and where we are shrouded about with the mantle of God's will. Now this is so very difficult because all of our own stuff has to be laid down. Our pride, our arrogance, our judgments, our list of accusations, these all have to be laid down. We have to become sick of ourselves. And now you have a choice. You must either withdraw because you're burned out or you must surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit and you must let him deal with you. Now when Christ came to raise Lazarus, Martha thought the decay of the body would render it too offensive to have the the door removed from the sepulcher. That lovely brother had become painfully offensive in the grave. And so a very significant manner, which we yield ourselves up to, utterly be crucified in our nature, God deals with us according to his unsearchable purposes and leads us into a death to sin and the world and then he lays us into a silent grave where we become like dead men out of mind. Alas, we become very offensive to those still living in the world where even our loved ones feel like keeping a distance from us. Oh no, I can't let that happen to me because then I would not be able to witness to my family and they would be shamed a true sign that one is unwilling to take this important Lazarus step. All true saints must pass through life where they become sick of themselves and then become loathsome or contemptible to unsanctified human nature. It was out of this death and resurrection experience that there came to Lazarus that deep unruffled stillness of soul that reticence of speech the longing the dreamy faraway look in the eye as he saw perpetually the outspreading blaze of the divine presence and the sweet splendors of the heavenly world where he had spent four ecstatic days 
So the very act of sitting with Christ at the table sets forth great calmness and refreshing of spirit. You see, instead of being burned out and backing away, we go forward into the death, and we enter the calmness and the restfulness of spirit in Jesus. He had gotten through with the wrestling of self, the tossing of a fevered will, death, and the grave had thoroughly conquered him. Self-righteousness, self-esteem, self-seeking, self-resentment, self-agitation, they'd all been left in the grave. No longer in control. He now was the deep, quiet, loving channel for the outflow of the tender mercies and love of a real heavenly life. Now all of this must be true in us also. It is in deed and in truth we must sit at supper with our Lord. If our nature is not perfectly conquered, how can we quietly sit with divine restfulness and gaze upon our Savior with ease and freedom? We are told that by reason of Lazarus being raised from the dead, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Our power to cause others to believe on Jesus depends on what we are in the very core and disposition of our spirit. There is a supernatural impression that flows from a soul that has been thoroughly crucified with Jesus and raised into a state of heavenly love and peacefulness of heart. So let's settle it. To sit with Jesus is real. Loving fellowship is not a mere thing of option, but is a thing of profound interior fitness of nature. There must be the bringing of the soul through whatever steps of trial or loss or crucifixion or utter abandonment to God where it is conquered, washed white and clean and softened into tender, tender love and hushed into divine stillness. The foundations of our life must be flooded with Jesus Christ or we cannot take a seat at the table and eat with him. Now Mary, she took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, 300 denarii, a denarii being a, a man's wage, for a day. So she has taken a year's worth of a working man's salary, and she has purchased the ointment of spikenard. And she is now anointing the feet of Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair, and the house is filled with the odor of the ointment. This is the highest form of the Christ life. That overflowing, outpouring extravagance of love and service, which counts no cost 
breaks the alabaster boxes, which runs out in missionary zeal and a sweet, holy frenzy of devotion to Jesus. Mary was the fitting character for this type of service. Her heart was utterly abandoned to Jesus. She seemed to despise all other things in comparison with him. She sank at his feet and drank in the deep ocean of his words and gazed into the depths of his spirit. She saw the magnitude of the coming kingdom and she saw the contemptible littleness, smallness of all that the world could offer. She was literally beside herself with divine fervor. She yearned to give the highest possible expression of her personal love for the Master. Her act at the banquet beautifully illustrates those believers who reach the highest state of divine contemplation and whose love becomes a, a burning flame. So let's look at what she did. What she did was prophetic. Jesus said that she had anointed him for his burial. Just one week from that time, Jesus was to be buried. And Mary probably did not understand that he would soon be crucified, yet the Holy Spirit impelled her to act as love can see. Further than anything else, she doubtless felt a great sad premonition and wished to show the Master a great expression of her unutterable affection for him. This is true of all souls who enter her state of all-consuming love for God. They discover the subtle drifting of spiritual and satanic curtain occurrence they have a deep instinctive feeling whether others are advancing or receding in the divine life they can see the dark cool shadow of approaching crucifixion and trouble all they want to do is pour out majestic sweetness and glory in the second place there was not the least reserve for self in any way. In the account given by Matthew and Mark, they tell us this banquet was given in the house of Simon the leper. Mark tells us that Mary broke the alabaster box containing the sweet perfume, that the box might never be used for any other purpose. This is the outpouring of life to the uttermost that asks no pay, that has no reservations in any direction, but a fountain of love bent only on expressing itself at all costs, all hazards, even though the casket of life should be shattered to pieces in the outflow. Now to reach a state of constant flaming love for God, we must be willing to break all the boxes in which is bound the subtle essence of our lives. Sometimes it's a box of some secret pride. 
Sometimes it's a a holding back in our will that we've gone as far as we can go with Jesus and we're not going to go any further and we're going to finally, if called upon to go further, judge others and leave. That box, that alabaster box must be crushed. If we are to pour out our love for Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's a fearful holding back of ourselves from some line of suffering, some lonely and strange looking path, or for some it's not wanting to perform a heroic duty because it's too threatening. There are often scarcely perceived deep reservations, even in very good people, from a boundless abandonment to God. This is the box that must be broken. Another is the social box. Our standing with friends. Our life is so full, so jam-packed. We don't dare risk pouring everything out for Jesus. And so we begin to pull back and cut back and leave the very place where the Holy Spirit has spoken to us and called us into that boundless abandonment and love for Jesus. Sometimes it's our standing with family or friends. Every saint who ascends the spicy mountains of burning love, of holy contemplation, will find at every epoch in their experience that they have to snap some social cords and over and over again break some beautiful white alabaster encasement of human esteem and the judgment of dear friends in order to pour out the last drop of loving obedience at the feet of our blessed Jesus. I'm experiencing that right now. Jesus has called me to do something that has caused many who are very close to me to say, if you're doing that, Pastor, I can't walk with you. Those social cords are broken under the judgment of dear friends. But when we're called, we have to follow. I've not come to this radio station because people have approved of me. I have been the recipient of much anger and bitterness through the years. I've been scorned and scoffed at. Is it worth it? Oh, yes. To obey Jesus is worth everything. Even if it brings me social disgrace, people tell me, Pastor, you're going to lose everything if you do this. Your legacy will be destroyed. Oh, wait a minute. What is my legacy? 
my legacy. I only want one legacy, and that is I want the legacy of being said I followed my Jesus even when it was unpopular and even under the judging eyes of those I treasured as friends. You see, I've already lost everything. I've lost my life for Jesus. My heart burns with adoration and praise and, and honor to him. I can't stop it. it. It wells up from the depths of my belly and pours out. And I come on this broadcast and it just pours out to you. I love you. But I cannot be connected to you with social cords of love because they'll be broken. I must be connected to you with the beautiful cords of love for Jesus Christ. Are you going to be at the National Prayer Chapel? Only if your heart desires to be poured out in love for Jesus. We are not there just to be a church. See, when I am poured out in love for Jesus Christ, I'll also be poured out in my love for you. And Jesus will stand between us. And if we, perchance, injure one another, we quickly forgive. And we bind up one another's wounds, and we carry one another's burdens. We don't leave. We don't walk away. We stand, though the heavens fall, where Jesus has planted us. We let go of our judgments. We ask questions. We pray. We seek the face of Jesus. Some will have to break the alabaster box of finances, of money. You are called to pour out your life for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even to lovingly consent to a life of poverty that the word of God could go forth. Nay, even rejoice in not having a huge bank account. Thereby, the pure spike nerd of Christ's life there's no hiding place, but everything is poured out in faith along all lines, breaking the box of human affection, setting aside earthly love because it's rent asunder and utterly shut off. There must be no other love but the all-melting, spotless, boundless, disinterested love of God flowing through us without hindrance, and then great love will be shown among the brethren and the sisters at the church. Mary lived to see that her alabaster box was a fitting type of the spotless body of Jesus, which was utterly broken, the spikenard of his life was poured out to the last drop for her redemption. 
It is an axiom that the very life of the infinite Christ is poured through us in proportion as we are broken. And even after we have known great and wonderful operations of the Spirit, there will often be forms of will or desire or religious ambition that seem as pure to us as alabaster. alabaster. But the burning love for Jesus will, in its extravagance, break them all for Jesus. this ointment was very costly pure ardent love gives its very best and delights in what seems to others as a reckless waste of itself for the glory of God there is a place of personal love for Jesus where the soul positively enjoys fasting and prayer and self-denial and almost goes wild in a holy ignoring of self that it may pour the very essence of its inner heart out to the Lord Jesus. It always puts Jesus first. And it gives to him our very best. Now the house was filled with the wonderful aroma of that spikenard. In like manner, when Christ broke his alabaster-like body, the whole earth and all of heaven was filled with the perfume of his gentle, loving spirit. In the same way, it is as we break the boxes of our human nature, our self-love, there is liberated from us the very aroma of Jesus. The Holy Spirit tells us that the very name of a divinely good person is like ointment poured forth. The most fragrant characters in the world are those who most thoroughly allowed themselves to be broken and poured their life out most extravagantly to Jesus. But see, in wiping his feet with her hair, the perfume came back upon her own head. What a world of truth lies in this. Those who give all receive the most. What we pour out in loving service to God. Now will someday settle back as a sweet aroma upon our heads. The compensations of Jesus are infallible and minute and as far-reaching as the white, shining years of eternity. Now, the last feature of her act was, if utterly shocked, the conservative and the calculating spirit of some of the apostles. Judas was the principal critic, but other evangelists tell us that some of the other apostles found fault also with Mary's excess. Those who love God and pour themselves out will always shock the conservatism of the ice-cold disciples. And even among the holy ones, those who get a furnace experience of burning love must endure the criticism of God's people who cannot fully understand the seeming waste and extravagance breaking of many precious things for what seems a mere sentiment. Yet this hot hearted pouring of ourselves out 
on all lines for Jesus turns out in the end to be the very wisdom of God, the discretion of heaven, and is rewarded by being rehearsed wherever the gospel is preached. This is the last and the sweetest stage of the Christ life on earth. I've been sharing thoughts from a book by G.D. Watson, Pure Gold. We're going to post this on our webpage. So if you'd like to order this book, you can. It's out of print, but it's just recently been brought back. My heart for you today, my brother, my sister, is that your heart would be set aflame with the ardent love for Jesus. That your consecration would be complete. That you would not pull back. That you would not save yourself, but rather you would allow Jesus Christ to bring you out of service into that grave. And recognize that many will disagree and castigate you and say you're a fanatic. We will do anything for love. The National Prayer Chapel needs your help because of the crisis the chapel is in we are unable to pay for our portion of radio this month and I'm asking would you step forward and would you pour out your love because of the messages you've heard and the ministry you've received I was greatly encouraged with a text last night with a dear brother saying pastor I'm putting a hundred dollars in the mail it's going to take many of you doing that We need to meet the goal. So if the Lord is calling you to pour out your heart for this radio broadcast because you need it and others need it, would you write to me quickly so that we can pay this June bill for radio? And by the way, the Lord is in the process of completely rebuilding and reconstituting the National Prayer Chapel. Men and women who have been deeply touched by what's happening, who have hearts burning with ardent desire for Jesus and who have been heartbroken. I invite you to come. You want Jesus, you'll meet him at the National Prayer Chapel. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22195. Make the check out to the National Prayer Chapel and just mark it Pilgrim's Progress, and every dollar you send will go directly to the radio bill for Pilgrim's Progress.
Now I also want to invite you to come. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. We begin our time of public prayer at 12 noon. We're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. That's the All Saints Anglican Church. We rent from them. We meet at noon. And we're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Now, I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. This message will be available to you as soon as we can get it up on the webpage today. I invite you to go and you will see also a donate button there where you can give via credit card or debit card. Now let's pray. Almighty God, Lord Jesus, you are our Father. And I pray today for every person listening to this broadcast that you would set a flame of ardent love in their hearts for you and for your people. Lord Jesus, don't let us perish in the bitterness of service and the emptiness of our own anger. Lord, break every alabaster box. Release us in your mercy and your love and your kindness to serve you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I love you, my brother and sister, because I love Jesus. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>